Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountain. This is episode 9, The Brotherhood of Justice, from 1986. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And this is the fifth of eight movies that Keanu Reeves did in 1986, which I don't think I realized until this weekend when I was like planning some of the WordPress posts. And he did so many movies in 86, and I, I want to say, you know... Five for five enjoyable movies so far. Absolutely. We are on one heck of a hot streak, I think, with, with 1986 and early Keanu. And he is, you have to recognize him. He's doing so much work. And it, it's just been so enjoyable so far. This is the second of four TV movies that he does this year. It's the second one in a row, the second TV movie in a row, along with Act of Vengeance, which we did a couple weeks ago, which is based on a true story. That this movie is about this group of, I guess, rich, entitled high schoolers, right? Mm -hmm. Who get tired of, basically, a bunch of racist white high schoolers get tired of, like, the Mexicans in their town and want to take them out. Basically, it's like, when you boil it down to its real essence, and it's set in... California, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think this is California. So this is set in California, but it's based on events that occurred in 1985, so the year before, in Fort Worth, Texas. That gang was known as the Legion of Doom. This is the Brotherhood of Justice. <laughs> and apparently, people they didn't. This movie didn't use real names or locations because once. This group went to prison, which, spoiler alert, the final shot of the movie is Keanu walking into the police precinct to turn himself and all of his buddies in, presumably. Um, Once all the real-life people were in jail, they were prohibited from doing books or movies about the gang. So I think that's really funny that, like, not only are they in jail, they're like, hey, you can't get a book deal either, so (laughs) double screw you. It's a real dragnet situation where the names have been changed to protect the guilty (laughs) at this point. But yeah, at least they're not profiting off of off of any of this. So it makes me feel a little better. But this movie just took me by surprise. (laughs) I was not expecting this whatsoever, that basically a group of white high school senior boys try to take back their school because there's been a series of break-ins, not just at their high school. Theirs is the latest, but they get their own school under control, and then they take it a step further and start trying to clean up the entire town that they live in. Things get very out of control in this film. It is just so (laughs) over the top at moments that it's just a big smile on my face while I'm watching this. One thing that I sort of want, I'm curious about is that apparently another movie that came out in 86, this movie called Dangerously Close, I guess is about the same thing, or I'm not sure if it's based on the same real-life events or just, you know, inspired by, but a few actors from this movie were also in that movie, so it's real weird, but I wonder if the trajectory, because you're right, like, things get out of hand so fast that they go basically from sort of scaring people a little bit, like, they're almost, like, trying to do, like, a scared street to, I guess, the most aggressive thing they do is they stab that one kid, right? Mm -hmm. And they sort of really rough up a couple cars and, you know, write, like, the Brotherhood of Justice was here, or, you know, look out for the Brotherhood of Justice. And, I mean, they never kill anybody, right? I guess they almost kill Kiefer. They get real close. They're definitely building up to murder. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're warming up to that. They put some kid in the hospital with a broken jaw at one point. They love to target other people's automobiles, so they torch a couple cars here and there. 
but that one guy, Tasty, like he was almost in the car when the Molotov yeah. cocktail came flying, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they they get really out of control. They take it way out of hand. What's sort of weird about this movie, I'm not sure if it's... So obviously, you know, in Texas and and, and Southern California, there's racial, I guess, racial tension, but there's also racial mixture. You know, they're both locations are really close to Mexico, so you're going to have a Hispanic population. What's interesting to me, and it sort of confused me, and maybe I missed an explanation, or maybe it was just never clear, but Keanu's younger brother is Hispanic? I don't think so. Is he? You don't think so? I thought he was... I don't think he's white, white. I think he's... I didn't get that impression. It's hard to tell because we never see the parents. There's no parents at all in this entire movie. <laughs> but like, Keanu's parents are just excused right at the beginning as being away and working for the entire time this is taking place. His brother makes a little comment at the beginning of the film where a bunch of cars have been broken into and stereos are stolen. And he says, oh, it must have been those Chicanos or Mexicans. Right, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're made comes up and says there are white criminals too right like white boys <laughs> steal as well watch your you know watch yourself so i got the impression that he, he was white okay because yeah because it does seem like he, he does seem sort of racist what's weird about the movie is that like it feels like it has this like this lesson to teach about race and racism and you know accepting other people but like it never really does anything with it it doesn't seem to really follow through on this like moral that it wants to teach i agree it seems like it starts out to want to do that to be a morality tale teach a lesson kids should watch this movie and not behave like these people but at some point it just it kind of goes hollywood and just turns into a crazy movie about these guys wreaking havoc across town and getting in too deep and taking it too far and the lesson kind of gets lost somewhere in, in between all of it it just more becomes about Keanu trying to keep his girlfriend and, you know, <laughs> than it does about teaching us, you know, how to behave and, and lessons or anything. I mean, this movie, for the, I guess for the first time really since Youngblood, you know, four movies ago, it has a few different major Hollywood actors who are still, like, big names today. He's dating Lori Loughlin, a.k.a. Aunt Becky from Full House. She sort of starts getting with a little bit Kiefer Sutherland. This is the second movie in the last few, along with Dream to Believe. So I guess actually the, the last two, where the DVD is sort of, we, we talked about this off mic, but the DVD cover art is sort of deceptive, and I guess it's just to sell DVDs. In Dream to Believe, Keanu's face is the biggest face on that DVD box art, and he's not really in it a whole lot. And this one, it seems like it's going to be him and Kiefer, like buddy-buddy, and Kiefer's not in it this much. It's weird, I guess, sort of retroactive marketing. Oh, now we know how big these people are. Let's just slap them on the cover and not really care about what the movie's actually about. Absolutely. The feeling that I got from it, the false advertising getting lied to, because I was going into this thinking it would be Keanu versus Kiefer, something of that nature, or they would be in the same gang. And But Kiefer Sutherland is buried in this film. He's hardly in it. His character's important, but he's deep background for most of it. His character's important, but I'm not really sure how important he actually is. There just needs to be something or someone there that Keanu can be, like, stressed about, kind of, right? Like, you know, he doesn't really have anything to do. He's just there, and he's just sort of like a sensitive guy who's able to, like, be there for Lori Loughlin and offer her a ride home when Keanu's late, and it's just, it's strange. Yeah, he's certainly 
nothing more than a mannequin in this film. He's there to be a threat to Keanu on some level. Like, Keanu has to choose between hanging out with his friends and, and committing acts of justice or hanging right. out with his girlfriend. And if he doesn't hang out with his girlfriend, then Keith Sutherland is going to grow closer and she's going to drift towards him. And if he doesn't hang out with his friends, they might put him on the list and try and bump him off at some <laughs> point. You know, He's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, what's sort of weird, and I feel like it's all just like artificial, like entitled rich boy, you know, problems. It's that he he doesn't have to work because he's, you know, his parents are wealthy, like he's inherited money. He's apparently a genius. He's going to go to Harvard in the fall. He is the quarterback of the football team. Like he just has like the best life. And, you know, when his girlfriend goes from working basically three days a week at this gas station to maybe five days a week after school at this Italian place, it's too much for Keanu to handle. Like, it seems like all he wants to do is hang out with her, and then when he really can't, he just sort of, like, loses his mind, and that sort of inspires him to make the Brotherhood of Justice. It seems like he's been idle too long. He doesn't really know what to do with himself, and he's not going to work because he doesn't need money, so he doesn't just understand the value of doing a day's work just to feel worthwhile for yourself. So he's not going to do anything where he needs to get paid or take any orders from people. So I think this brotherhood thing is right up his alley. It, it makes a little more sense that he becomes heavily involved in this because it's like an after-school activity where he can feel like he's doing something with his life. It's like an extracurricular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do want to mention while we're talking about them, Kiefer I don't think ever returns to a Keanu movie, but Lori Loughlin will return in The Night Before. So she's going to be back in a couple years with him again. What's weird, and I was talking to you again about this off mic, is that I guess because I grew up with Full House and I like I never remember a point in my life when Full House wasn't a thing. Like it started when I was probably two and I remember just that was like the show of my childhood. And so she was always like this adult and I don't think I really became aware of Keanu until, you know, the mid to late nineties. And so in my mind, she's like significantly older than Keanu, but they're both born in 64. So they're both in this movie about 21 playing high schoolers. So it's not too far removed, but I don't know. It just seems like there's, there's weird interactions with them, like toward the end of the movie, especially after they break up where we see Keanu in kind of his surfer boy. And maybe that's the point of this. Maybe it's a show her maturity versus his immaturity, or maybe just the way that they are as actors. I don't know. But he's like talking in like his surfer bro affectation, and she is talking like Aunt Becky. Like she's sort of talking like a grown up, just like in her delivery. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he's just like this punk teenager. I don't know. It's just it's just sort of weird to me that you know she seems so much older than him, but they're not. But even in this movie, she's still sort of acting a lot older than him. Well, she is definitely the more mature one in the relationship and right from the get-go she knows when the principal makes this little speech that you know we have to take care of our own school unless you want the cops to enact operation jump street and send some undercovers in here to roam the hallways (laughs) she knows right away a vigilante gang is a bad idea when they're talking about it at lunch okay so what are we supposed to do go around giving lectures on the evils of drug abuse hey let's get a group together and start kicking some tail he's talking about hall monitors He doesn't want the cops coming in here, and who does? Like he says, it's our school. So he wants us to do the job. You know, set the right examples, maybe put a little pressure on. Well, we're not the police. It's not our responsibility. No one else is doing anything, Christy. I think it's a great idea. I mean, we get together a unit of like 10 or 12 guys. We set up a chain of command, establish a war chest, commit assassinations of alleged enemies. 
We could take over this whole school. School? We could take over this whole town. She seems like the more rational one. She understands like she needs to work to get out of this town. She doesn't have the privilege that most of the people at this school do. So her perspective is much more adult all throughout, and it seems like she's just trying to help Keanu from throwing it all away at a point, but he, he can't see that because he's just blinded by his immaturity, and, and I think it, on one level he just he doesn't know what to do because he's never really had to make hard decisions before, so this is really catching him off guard. Yeah, it's it's weird, because I guess he's never had to do anything for himself. Like, sort of life's been handed to him on a silver platter. Christy's had to, like, work to get where she is. And I'm assuming, I mean, I don't know that the movie talks about where she's going to school, but I'm guessing it's not Harvard. I'm guessing she has to work these sort of low-paying jobs that she's probably going to scrap together money to go to some, like, you know, local school. You know what I mean? So, like, their their lives are so different, and... I feel like this this brotherhood of justice is like the first thing that Keanu thinks that he can actually make a difference doing. And what is sort of refreshing to see, kind of, although I think it sort of has to be based on the fact that he's our main character, is that he's pretty vocal in terms of getting the group together. But as the group starts doing its thing, he becomes the one really like the sort of the moral center of it all. We're just like, oh, I don't know if this is necessarily good. Like later in the movie, his buddy Scotty quits the group but he's really the one who just sort of is like, oh, I'm not sure if what we're doing, like, he's always like thinking like, oh, I think we're going a little bit too far. Oh, definitely. He's always trying to be the one that says, let's pull it back. Let's pull it back. We do this the right way or we end it right here, right now. Tremaine was a confirmed target, there. Six votes, all in favor. In favor of what? Roughing him up, but knifing him? No way. What do you want us to do, Derek? Pants him? Swipe his favorite pen and pencil set? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the punk got what he deserved, Derek. Maybe more, but he'll get a tetanus shot, a few stitches, that'll be it. Except that he'll remember it every time he sits down for the next three weeks. Who did it to him? Who's gonna tell Perry Willis who did it to him? You rolled over him like a freight train, and he doesn't even know why. Yeah, I know. I should have whispered in his ear. This is no joke, Mule. We're trying to make a point out there. When we hit somebody, we do it as the Brotherhood. And we leave a calling card so they and everybody else learns a lesson. No screw-ups. The gang that becomes the Brotherhood, they're all friends when the movie starts. This is their little group of guys that they all hang out. They're all best friends to begin with. And so when they're sitting around deciding, like, we should take charge, let us be the guys who patrol the hallways, who take out the drug dealers, who um, turn in the perverts and all this. Like every, But everybody feels like they want to be in charge and have their own way of handling things. Mule, right off the bat, is the militant one who says, let's get, you know, we can get a unit together and patrol the place and have this place on lockdown. But Derek, Keanu's like, oh, we could be hall monitors, <laughs> right? And like hand out passes and tell them to go back to class. So everybody's on a different level of intensity here but they're all sort of they're, they're on a different page but they're reading the same book it's going to be Keanu throughout the movie who is going to be like no weapons no bragging but everyone else just ends up thinking it's one big party one big joke the group is what how, how big would you say the brother actually is like six or eight people and like they're they all have like such like radically different ideas of like what they should do right like as you were just saying but what they wind up doing is just they like they basically put masks on and don't disguise their voice. I feel like they have like these grand ideas about how to protect their town and protect their school, and then they just do dumb things. 
yeah, when it comes down to it, when they actually execute their plans, they just go around in masks, terrorizing people, beating them up, setting their cars on fire, crashing their parties and throwing everybody into pools. Then they end up leaving calling cards. They write, the Brotherhood of Justice was here. And <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. It's strange how it shows that they want to do something. And then when it comes down to it, they don't have the means to pull it off. But it's not going right. to stop them one bit. They think they're doing good deeds. They don't understand that they're becoming just as bad as the people that are vandalizing their schools that they're trying to stop to begin with. I think what would have been cool to see is that like these are all ostensibly, you know, really wealthy kids, right? Or at least Keanu is really wealthy. And I'm assuming that most of them, it seems like it's kind of, in a way, kind of like a Veronica Mars town, right? Where there's like the really like there's the haves and the have-nots. And it seems like all these people, for the most part, at least Keanu and like that nerdy sort of like what they call like Mr. Prez, like the student body president or whatever, they both seem really rich. I think it would have been cool to see them sort of like flex their financial muscles and like, you know, go crazy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they, they have money available and like what they wind up doing is just like using like spray paint and like, you know, creating a Molotov. I sort of wish that they went bigger, but I guess if it's based on a true story, you're sort of like limited in how you can tell it. Yeah, I almost wondered if the incidents were what they were because they were limited to what happened in real life. They wanted to stick close to those things because they couldn't necessarily use the persona of the kids involved. So they wanted to get what they could right. But I would have liked to have seen a little more diversity among the actual group if there was some, like, if Billy Zane's character less, if he, you know, sporting the vampire look very well in this movie, <laughs> by the way. And, uh, and that's saying something with Keith Sutherland, one of the lost boys in this film. But, right. And very proficient with the butterfly knife as well. So if we yeah. had seen him be more from the poor side of town, but accepted by these rich kids, then he'd have something to maybe keep proving to them that he could be kept around and maybe that's why he's the one who usually takes it further and further a step too far he's the one who keep who, who comes out with the weapons at first okay so here's what i don't understand about like what they're doing in the movie and i, I feel like this isn't a criticism of the movie i don't think i think it's more a criticism of the actual brotherhood of justice or the legion of doom or whatever i don't understand and, and maybe it is the movie that they don't really develop this but like i don't understand why they pick who they pick and then once they pick that person, how they decide what punishment befits the crime. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it just seems like, oh, like, we got all these guys on the list. Let's bump people up on the list. Let's bump people down on the list. What constitutes, like, that one guy, right, like, that drug dealer who gives Keanu's brother cocaine or angel dust or whatever's in that bag, right? They just sort of go in a bathroom and, like, beat them up a little bit. And then they write on the mirror, Brother Justice was here. But then later, they torched that one kid's car, like Pasty's car, and I'm not sure what he did. Like, yeah. is it just a matter of them getting, like, bigger and crazier and, like, not lining up with what the crime, like, the supposed crime was? I, I don't understand their logic, I guess. They want to go after drug dealers who are hanging out around the school. They want to go after the users, the dust heads, as they put it. So they want to go after people who are actually problems at first, but eventually it becomes... Let's go after Manuel because I heard that he, he put his car together at a chop shop that his cousin owns. And then it's like, let's go after Pasty because he's a nerd and he won't let me copy off his test and girls like him a lot. Yeah, he's a nerd, he's a nerd that people love. And they're like, what do they, what do they love about him? She's like, oh, it's just like his nerdiness. And she's like, what? <laughs> so eventually it just goes from sort of righteous, 
let's actually take out people who are a problem to, oh, who, who bothers me today? You know, who looked at me the wrong way, basically? Like, I want that guy's lunch money. Let's go stab him. Whose name are we going to put on this list? How about everybody picks two, so that makes 12 in all. For starters. Whoever's stealing, whoever's dealing. Check. Perverts and deviants. Check. Short people, big guy. Double check. Guys with earrings. We've got 11 in all so far. So what we ought to do is put them in priority order. Okay, dust heads first. Dealers first. Right, first the dealers, then the dust heads. Then what? Thieves. Homos. Be serious. All right, look. Making a list is fine. Putting it in order is fine. But there's one thing we better be sure of. Before we hit somebody, anybody, we better know they deserve getting hit. I guess that's the whole point, right? That's that's why Keanu sort of has second thoughts, aside from the fact that Lori Lachlan's like, hey, like, this isn't cool, and especially at the end when they're about to, like, blow up Kiefer's car, you know, aside from those things, it's like Keanu realizes, more so than anybody else, maybe Scotty, that, oh, like, we're getting a little bit too big, and, like, he even says, I think, at one point, how does this keep the town safer? And everybody's just like, oh, like, who cares? Like, whatever, like, we're just, like, you know, doing our thing. Maybe my problem with like the, this whole group is that there's a few too many people, and I feel like we don't know each of them well enough to really know their motivation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also feel like there's a teen mob mentality among them, sort of powered by peer pressure in a way, where they want to one-up each other and show off to each other that they're man enough to do these kinds of things, to take it further and further, to not be scared. I definitely get that from the blonde kid and Scotty, they seem like they're coming along because they're being more and more accepted by the cooler kids in the group and that that's right. keeping them happy. And this is all sort of keeping them happy. Like they say, like it feels like a brotherhood. And at some point they all feel accepted and that this is some place they could go and know that they're not being judged, I guess, by each other at least. You know what I kind of wish, and I think this would have helped a lot, and I don't know if they necessarily, because this is, again, like we were saying earlier, it's a TV movie, so they're probably, you know, restrained by time. They can't necessarily make a two-hour movie, so it's condensed that 90-minute block. But I sort of wish we had more teenage angst, because I feel like if we go back to Cage Club and we look at the first episode of Best of Times, and Cage has that, like, crazy speech on the beach, right, about how he's afraid to die and afraid to go to war, I feel like a real solid angle to explain why they're doing what they're doing and why this brotherhood means so much to them is the fact that in six months or whatever, they're all going to go off to college, they're not going to be together, and they're they're sort of scared about the future, right? Mm. And I feel like if you add that into the storytelling at all, things begin to make more sense. But it's not that. It's just like, it's all just based on racism. Exactly. Yeah, that would have been great. That could have been some sort of foreboding ticking clock in the back of everybody's head that this we have to make this worth it. We have to strengthen this bond before it's split apart and we have to do something epic this summer. Something along those lines. I could definitely see that working. Okay, so there's one scene later where it gets kind of close where... Keanu is in the diner by himself and Mule comes in to convince him to come back to the Brotherhood. Now, he doesn't really give him a lot of reasons, but they do something with the way they film it where it's definitely breaking the fourth wall where where Keanu's looking right at you through the TV saying, I don't know what to do. And Mule is saying, well, what's it going to be, the Brotherhood or her? And it's this weird moment where I feel like the filmmakers think they're doing something clever where it's drawing you you personally into this story saying, oh, how would you feel given the choice? But 
I don't understand the choice because there's <laughs> no incentive to go back to this brotherhood. If he goes back to his girlfriend, he'll get her back. They'll be together. You know, they'll sip Miss McGill's tea once in a while before they yep. go off and build a life together. What I also don't understand is why Keanu and Lori Loughlin are together at all. I understand why she would like him because he's the popular kid, right? And I can mm-hmm. see why he would like her because she's beautiful. But, like, is that it? Because it seems yeah, like... I think so. It's... <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> it seems that's all like... it takes for high school. Everything we know about Kiefer is like, oh, he's the guy for her. Like, they're, mm-hmm. he's like sort of like a nerd, but like, he's like an earnest nerd, and he's nice to her, and he's sweet to her. And I guess that's sort of the whole thing. But, like, we never dive into that. At some point in the movie, Keanu and Lori Lachlan break up, and then it's sort of kind of assumed that, they, that maybe she gets together with Kiefer, or maybe they're just, like, hanging out as friends. I'm not sure exactly what, but, like, we don't dive into that enough, No, I don't think. It doesn't seem like the movie cares about that. It's just about, like, hey, like, what are these crazy brothers going to do next? Yeah, I think it tries to get all that across with the class system, basically, just that Keanu's rich and she's poor, and Kiefer Sutherland's character is poor as well. He has to work, too, so she's going to gravitate more towards someone like her in her social class. Why would she be with Kiefer over Keanu? Now, why would she be with Keanu in the first place? Yeah, I think it's just that he's the star quarterback, he's good-looking, and she's the best-looking girl in school, so it's just natural they be together in the first place. However, I do see reasons for her not to be with him more and more as this movie goes along. Because he's kind of like a terrible person. There's nothing really redeeming about him. I think I wrote really early on that this is not a Keanu that I like. I guess it's all about, like, sort of, like, relativism. And, like, you look at him compared to her, and she's, like, this great person, and he's kind of this jerk. But then you look at him compared to all his friends, and, like, he's the good one. And so I guess it sort of depends on who he's with that makes you sort of sympathize with him or sort of demonize him. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, like, he's, he's not a good guy, but also in the grand scheme of things, he's not really, like, a bad guy. He's just kind of dumb with no life experience. Yeah, and they don't set him up to be a criminal necessarily. Like, they don't set him up to be the worst of his group. They actually try to set him up to be one of the better guys right off the bat. Okay, so when we first see him, he tells his brother, like, he likes what he's doing with his hair. Sort of scolds him when he makes that comment in front of the maid and drives him to school. So they're sort of setting him up as this cooler, older brother. And and so that's really all we get. When we see his friends, like, they're instantly just this mob. They all sort of act as one, so it's hard to really decipher one of those from the other as much. But I feel like you're right. Like Keanu, he's not the best. He's not the worst for me in this movie as far as a person. Like I, I see him doing these horrible things, but I feel like, okay, it, he doesn't really know exactly how far he's going, what he's doing yet. And he will turn around. He will turn himself in. So he en- eventually does do the right thing. And I think it's at the point where he finds his brother in the shower and realizes what his brother's been doing which is so awkward why is he in the shower when this happens i don't understand he's on angel dust like he's just this is what people <laughs> do on the death drug angel dust they just mm. do crazy stuff they just walk around their house shirtless take showers at three in the afternoon and keanu finds out that his brother's been doing dust so i think that gives him more cause to stick with the brotherhood saying this problem has infested my house where i live it's my brother like we really got it take charge of what's happening and and i think that moment might push him over and that's where i say okay he's really got to do something drastic to win me back at the end of this movie about like two-thirds of the way through the movie i was like keanu's either gonna die or he's gonna snitch and i didn't see any other way that this movie could have ended and i think that the fact that he does sort of turn themselves in makes sense as a sort of a a logical 
end point for his character, but, I mean, is there any other way, like, at the beginning of the movie, I thought that, you know, I thought Lori Loughlin might get hurt or get killed, and not necessarily directly, because I don't think they would ever do that to her, but she would sort of get caught in the crossfire, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, as the movie went on, I was like, oh, no, it's just about Keanu, like, she's just out of it. Even, like, as the movie goes on, like, she becomes less and less important, and she sort of becomes, like, Kiefer in that she's just there to sort of give Keanu something to do. Did you see any other way that this movie could have ended aside from Keanu either getting killed or snitching? No, not necessarily. I think the problem is that there's never any stakes for these guys. Like, people basically know who's doing this. They know it's Keanu and his friends. At school, people are flashing secret handshakes and things. And the cop comes to visit the principal and is like, you got to turn these kids in. And the principal's like, I, I want to see how, how much further this can go first. And the cop's like, someone got stabbed in school. And the principal's like, oh, there's no proof that they actually go to this school fire this principal whatever you do it doesn't matter if he turns the kids in like he's basically enabling these kids he doesn't really tell them to stop so people kind of know who's doing it his girlfriend finds out right away when they try to stick up pasty in the back alley and Kiefer Sutherland stands up for him he can tell it's Keanu through the mask (laughs) by looking at his eyes and like also Keanu's talking he's not like masking his voice he's like no because the 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 leader I don't remember who the leader is I don't remember if it was uh, I don't remember who it was but anyway he goes to like attack Kiefer and Keanu's like no no man not him and then Kiefer's like oh that's weird like oh okay I understand why it's not weird it's Keanu (laughs) like it's just it's strange what do you want we want you, Pasty. Repent, sinner. Get ready to meet your maker. <laughs> and leave me alone. Down on your knees, geek. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, no! You having a problem with these guys, Eddie? I don't even know who they are. Get behind me. Get behind me now. You're making a mistake, hero. Yeah. Tell me without the mask and maybe I'll believe you. So there's no real threat to the Brotherhood throughout the entire movie. The only point in which I thought anything bad was going to happen to them, per se, is when they go across the tracks into Mexico, apparently, and (laughs) go looking for a lost (laughs) motorcycle. I definitely felt something bad was going to happen. But nothing does, right? Yeah, like, nothing things... does. They, they're they're told to pull over, and then one of the lead gang members recognizes Keanu from high school as the star quarterback, and they all start to talk a little bit. But Billy Zane has to throw out some racist talk, and right. and that almost gets them killed. But they're still allowed to leave after Keanu explains we're looking for a motorcycle, and the guy's like, "You guys should just get out of here. No one has your motorcycle. Just go back to your side of town." I definitely was expecting a throwdown at that moment. <laughs> I wrote down at that point that it must be hard to be a part of a secret brotherhood when like, you're the most recognizable person on campus. <laughs> like, everybody knows Keanu. Probably everybody loves Keanu. Like He's the popular guy. He's the good-looking guy with the beautiful girlfriend, quarterback of the football team, You know, one of the smartest guys in school, whatever. And like you're going to be in this group where you're only way to defend yourself. Like it's It's essentially like, you know, People talk about, like, how do people not realize that Bruce Wayne's Batman? Like, this is sort of, like, what that's actually like. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, like, that's, yeah, that's obviously Keanu. Like, we we know that. Like, it's not, like, a surprise. Like, that's just him. What's amazing is when they beat up the dealer who sold his brother the drugs, they're not even wearing masks. They just go 
follow him through the arcade, wait until he goes into the bathroom and rush him and just beat the crap out of him. And one guy's writing, this was done by the Brotherhood of Justice. If you are a yep. drug dealer, you better watch your back. It's, they couldn't have asked to get caught any more than they did, but they never did get caught. They're not being smart and they're just begging to get caught at that point. What I was hoping for in that scene is that we see, like, they're like, oh, there he is. And they show, like, a shot of, like, a couple people together. And one of them is, like, a one-armed guy in a wheelchair. Yes. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, please let that be the drug dealer. Because I want to see, like, how this movie shows these kids, like, roughing up this, you know, handicapped person. <laughs> but no, he's just buying drugs and, like, another guy in the bathroom that they rough up. And I was like, oh, man, like, because this, this just feels like the kind of movie that would rough up the kid in the wheelchair and, like, not really think about, like, what it's actually saying. But unfortunately, we don't we don't get that in this movie. Yeah, and that's the scene where I turn on Keanu because he is responsible basically for breaking that kid's jaw or something. Like, he is just beating this kid down. And I understand, you know, you want to turn in the drug dealer, but they're just going about it all wrong. Their tactics are, are all wrong. What they should be doing is, like, what's more in line with what happens the next day at school, how someone pranks the school by changing the tape in the loudspeaker <laughs> to say that the Brotherhood of Justice is watching you. Hey, Attention all students, you are being watched. Every day you wake, every purse you take, every test you fake, every wrong you make, every rule you break, will put your lives at stake. From the Brotherhood of Justice. Again, the kid didn't even disguise his voice. But that just seems like more of the kind of stuff they should be doing, the more passive-aggressive stuff, not right. the actual going out and, and hurting people, but the those those big threats, like, you know, Big Brother is watching. I think that's a much better tactic. Like, they need to be more like Batman from The Dark Knight than Batman from Batman vs. Superman. Like, they are, <laughs> they're essentially Batman branding people, right? Like, yeah. they're like, yeah. they're like, hey, we're, we're going to be violent, we're going to be aggressive, like, you're going to have to deal with it, right. as opposed to, like, being in a world where people know it's just it's so cool like in the beginning of the dark night when there's like the drug deals or whatever and like they see the bat symbol in the sky they're like oh no man not tonight they just know he's out there so like if they're like this foreboding group that only goes out maybe once a week but like people know they're out there that's a better place to be but instead they're just like let's just rough up everybody possible because what else are we gonna do they're more like the sons of the punisher instead of the sons of batman one thing I want to talk about, um, and it's not you know crucial to the the story, but we were talking before about how they put that tape in the school's PA or the loudspeaker, and we get that wonderful shot of the principal secretary in front of this switchboard, flipping every switch there is. There's way too many switches, and she's just like, I don't know how they did it. There's just the tape in the machine, and I love <laughs> I love that because it's just it's crazy and makes no sense. But I also love it because that, along with a few other things that I wrote down, sort of remind me of Young again in that it's not like the way that school is. It's just like stuff about school. Like at one point, they're teaching, like I guess one of the teachers is talking about gravity. And he writes on, yeah. the, he writes on the board, he says, the gravity riddle. And I was like, what are you, t like that's not, like what is that? Today we're going to be studying the gravity riddle. Now, if we could explain why an apple falls out of a tree, then we might also understand how time and space were created. Now, when Isaac Newton discovered his law of universal gravitation, he wasn't much older than you guys. He was 23 years old, and he had just escaped from the city and the bubonic plague 
and made his discovery in the countryside. Yeah, I, I definitely was like, what is going on with this school? The principal says that it's a school for smart and gifted kids. So I thought maybe they were just taking some advanced class in physics that the writers of this movie were trying to make it sound smart, but it made absolutely no sense. And there's very few times when they're actually in classes. Most of the time they're at school, they're at lunch in the hallway or having student council meetings, I think, they're right? They, they are all the student council, which is also amazing. <laughs> I found that they have vigilante student council at your school. Although the school, like the classes at school do lead to one of my favorite lines of the movie, which is when Keanu asks Lori Lachlan, since when do you like calculus more than me? Because like they're trying to have a conversation. She's just like trying to do homework. And she's like, oh, like some people here do lessons. And she's like, no, I'm not just brilliant like you. I need to actually work. Like I'm not just going to get into Harvard. Come on, I've got a test tomorrow. Since when do you like calculus more than me? I don't, but some of us mortals have to study. We'll find some important too. Yes, I know, I know. So is a college scholarship. So fun, I'll just have to wait till later. Which reminds me, are you going to pick me up? What time? I don't know, about 10? 10 it is. Mm, see you hey, Derek? Yeah. I like you a lot more than calculus. Like he's so insecure about spending time with her mm-hmm. that he's even like taking it out on calculus. It's <laughs> just like, oh, okay. And that is the most comically big calculus book I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. The thing was like a dictionary that they put a cover over and wrote calculus on. But I loved every second of it. And Keanu is definitely becoming less and less secure with his relationship uh, with this girl here. And he knows that he's losing her. And I think it's around this time that he might even just be giving up. Because he even says, like, I got to go hang out with the guys. And I think that they go and perform some justice. And he never even comes back to pick her up. I think that happens once or twice. That, he, you know, he picks the bros before the hoes. And, and that's what comes back to haunt them. Bros before hoes, always a dangerous topic. One important thing I wanted to talk about that, again, has nothing to do with really with the movie is this movie is basically like a prequel to Point Break. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how many, how many similarities are going on. So quarterback of the football team, number one. Number two, their first time that they show up as the Brotherhood of Justice, uh, they're wearing presidential masks. There's a guy wearing a Nixon mask. I, yeah. Then there's a Bob Hope, a chicken, a, a, an ape, and something else. There's, yeah, there's yeah, a bunch just... of masks. They just go to the Halloween store and just get whatever masks, I guess. Which also, like, I'm sure that they probably, the level of intelligence that they have, they all just, like, went in there together in the middle of whatever <laughs> not October month it is. And we're just like, oh, like, let's get a bunch of masks. Like, I'm sure that if anybody followed any leads in this movie, they could find out who the Brotherhood of Justice is in, like, I don't know, a day. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, they don't seem to cover their tracks at all. Another thing that I caught was later in the movie... Um, and, I'm, and I, know, I know this is like a common saying, but like one of the big lines, I guess, from Point Break is via con Dios. And like Keanu says it in the car toward the end of the movie. Like this movie wants to be Point Break, but doesn't even know Point Break exists yet. Like it's <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, there's even a beach in this movie. You know, there's beaches yeah. and waves. There's a lot of parallels going on. So a lot of this movie seems like, at least thinking back, it seems like a lot of this movie is the Brotherhood talking to each other about who to take out next, right? Yeah. And they have, like, the dumbest lines. Before they rough up that guy in the bathroom, 
they're talking and they're like, Carlton Links, I want him. And they're like, he's on the list, man, number five. And they're like, well, he just made number one. And it's like they like, have all these like tough guy lines, but it's just like them talking about who they're going to rough up or about how taking out the homos, like how is that going to help clean up the town? But like, you know, take out like the drug dealers and the homos. And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like even back then, they're like, wait, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's when everyone in the group was sort of chiming in as to who should be on the list. And, and that's when you got the sense that not everybody is getting the same thing out of this. Like everybody's starting to take it personal. It's like, well, wh- what is that guy's big deal? Oh, well, well, he wouldn't let me cheat off him in class. He's on the list. You know, he's right. It's like, we can't put him at number one, but he'll he'll replace number five. <laughs> Apparently they have an intelligence unit, which is just, I think, the student body president. Apparently his job is just to make sure that whoever they're going to hit actually did whatever they, like, they want to take him out for. Yeah. But I just like that they call him the intelligence unit. They're like, what are you talking about? They're like, yours truly. It's just like he just like took it upon himself to like actually go snoop around. But once again, um, once again, he creates these dossiers that he hands out to everybody <laughs> with like the targets circled and a plan with a map and everything. It's like, guy, come on, no evidence. What don't you understand? You're leaving a calling card left and right. They even have a logo, a red handprint that they leave on yeah. people. Insane amount of thought went into this. <laughs> I guess like the intelligence unit, what they come up with is at one point, there's another one of my favorite lines where they say, what do we know about Tremaine? And somebody says, he's scum. He's dirtier than scum. It's just like, oh, like, that's just like what we found out. Like, the intelligence unit found out that, like, he's scummy. Like, okay, let's, let's just go take him out. Tremaine has my vote. What do we know about this guy? He's scum. This guy, he's, he's dirtier than... He's scum. You got any facts, Barnwell? Uh, he's a heavy dealer. He deals grass, lays with PCP. Kids, they don't know what's happening to them. He's the pits. Let's hit him. Let's hit him hard. Yeah. Brotherhood. 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 The brotherhood. 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 There's one guy where they think this guy is running a chop shop or that he's involved and he brings his car there and they never really confirm that, but they wrecked the guy's car anyway and the lowrider parked next to it in the parking lot. So I don't know what his definition of intelligence is, but it's not the same as mine. Which I think makes sense in terms of, that's just like another example of like things a little bit getting out of hand or not necessarily lining up or whatever. And I like that there are a couple moments where like Keanu has that freak out, like after they stab that guy, he says, hey guys, no weapons, like either you're with me or I'm out. I'm not cool with weapons. And it seems like they kind of like begrudgingly a little bit go along with him. But also a little bit later, I think it's after the Kiefer incident where like Keanu saves Kiefer that first time where there's like a little bit of dissension among the ranks Mm -hmm. and it's like maybe they're learning a lesson or something but then you realize that like i think keanu says like this isn't a game and someone says no it's better we're the brotherhood man and he asks do we march or do we die and it's like oh like i thought that they were learning a lesson but now just like no they're just doubling down on how stupid they are yeah, and I also feel like the rest of the gang is starting to realize Keanu's getting a little soft and that he may need some incentive or he, who knows, one day he might need to be taken out. He may have to go on, you know, the ghost list for now and see if he gets moved over later. But I definitely get the sense that they're wondering what is wrong with him. You know, what you, you used to be so down and like now that we're really becoming something that we're, we're taking it further than anyone realized, you basically want to stop doing it. 
that's a threat to the brotherhood and so there's really not much keanu can can do except go along with it or burn it all to the ground somehow yeah, and like toward the end of the movie, I think like his big realization, like what sort of puts him over the edge, maybe, or like what's about to put him over the edge, and I think what really sort of puts him over the edge is the bomb on Kiefer's car. Yeah. But he's talking to Lori Lachlan near the end of the movie, and he says to her that it made so much sense in the beginning. Like when he when they started, like they had this like clear idea that they were gonna clean up the town, clean up the school, whatever. And then she says, Doesn't make so much sense now, does it? And he just says, Nothing does. I'm sorry about the other day. And the Brotherhood? Is the Brotherhood sorry? Derek, you've got to stop this before it gets any worse. They're your buddies. They'll listen to you. What if they don't listen? What if I can't stop it? What am I going to do? Call Grudemat? Call the cops? I'm not going to rat on my friends. Well, then you'll have to figure something else out. This made so much sense in the beginning. Doesn't make any sense right now, does it? Nothing does. And, like, you can see that over the course of this hour and a half, this guy who had a beautiful girlfriend, a future quarterback of the football team, really popular kid, in an hour and a half, everything went to shit, and, like, his whole life fell apart, basically, and now he's going to jail instead of Harvard, and they're, they haven't killed anybody, but, like, we talked about earlier, that can't be too far away. Yeah, he, he's a kid who had it all and then lost it all. I like him again because he realizes he's done something wrong. He understands what he did was wrong and he's going to turn himself in. And so he's redeemed himself in my eyes. He has that very interesting conversation with Victor, played by uh, Kiefer Sutherland earlier, where he's like, you know, I like her. You like her. We both like her. You know, we both can't have her. So he's definitely trying to handle his own personal business on his own and keep it separate from the brotherhood. And it's when the brotherhood takes it upon themselves to basically outrank him or outvote Keanu, not even include him in the vote and say, let's take care of Victor for Derek. He'll thank us for it. And that is definitely the last draw for him and I, that's when we get the awesome scene of him racing against time to stop Kiefer Sutherland from opening his car door I just love that moment he comes skidding across the street and almost crashes into another car trying to save Kiefer Sutherland it's crazy that it works I don't know what Kiefer is doing but like his window is open he like keeps like fiddling with things inside his car and like as the viewer you're like don't open the door don't open the door because like, you don't want to see this innocent guy get hurt and then Keanu just speeds up and just like laying on the horn and just like oh like okay like let's just see like what this maniac has to say I don't know like, I'm, I'm sort of surprised that it worked if you were going to get into your car after a long day of work and then you're about to open your door to leave and then you just hear like a crazy guy coming up in a car with like the horn blaring isn't that in some part of your brain gonna make you want to get out of there a little bit quicker you see like a crazy guy showing up I'm not gonna like hang around to see like what's up like it's just gonna be like oh Let's get out of here. Yeah, he's definitely going for the world's record of trying to get into your car. He should have dropped his keys a few times, needed to tie his shoelace, <laughs> you know, comb his hair in the rearview mirror, like all these kinds of things. It's It was comical, again, like how long it took him to get into his car. And you're right. He was so close to opening the door. Uh, there's nothing that can really stop you from opening the door at that point. You know, even even just on instinct, even if he looked over to see who was honking, I feel like he would have just kept opening the door. And it just would have been amazing if Keanu wasn't there in time. And the only actual casualty who lost their life was the one guy that he was actively trying to save. (laughs) But 
I guess because we were like an hour 25 or like an hour and 28 into this movie, Kiefer can't die there because like there's just, there'd be too much fallout. Like you'd have to have like more scenes with Lori Loughlin. You'd have to have like, you know, emotional breakdown moments or whatever. But like, because we're at the end of the movie, like, oh, Kiefer can't die. And now Keanu's got to turn himself in. Like we're sort of like against the clock here in a way. This also felt pretty abrupt to me, this ending. It's like he saves Kiefer's life. He says, call 911. And then he just drives to the police station. And my brain was like, it's over? That's it? The movie <laughs> ends? He just walks into the police station? That's it? I was like, okay, I guess he's he's giving himself up. They're all going to jail. Okay, so, you know, in Act of Vengeance, right, we have <laughs> yes. this, like, the closing credits are, like, the photos, like, the actual, the, the people who, like, went to jail, right? Here, I'm like, are these, like, the real people? I'm like, oh, no, because like, it was just see Keanu. It was just like, oh, these are just, like, stylized photos of the actors getting put in the back of a cop car. Although, I don't know why Keanu is getting put in the back of a cop car if he's, like, at the prison now or at the jail now turning himself in. I don't know. It was all types of confusing, this this photo finish that we got here at the end. I, <laughs> I definitely thought an act of vengeance where I mistook that for being a fictional story. And I was like, why are they doing this wrap-up to a fictional story? And this is... This, I, I did not know this was real as well. Did not know this was based right. on a real story either. And so I had the same sensation. I was like, why are we getting a fictional account of what went down as if it actually happened? I was so confused, but I had a giant grin on my face while I was confused. Because <laughs> it's just weird. Like these based on true stories, like we had weird endings in Cage Club, but here we have weird endings that legitimately like don't make sense or like aren't set up. It just, I don't understand what's going on, why we're cutting like real footage. The movie makes no mention of based on a true story or anything like that, as far as I can tell, as far as I saw. And even you said to me, like, when I told you it was based on a true story, you're like, oh, because I was wondering, like, why this movie exists. It has to be based on a true story, but, like, they make no reference to anything. And it's just like, oh, this is just a movie that we made up. Yeah, I, I did not know what was going on. I mean, the only <laughs> the only kind of solace I had was the reminder that this was made for television. Uh, what reminded me throughout was it would it would fade to black where commercials seemed to go. It had those act breaks built into this. So right. at the end, I was like, okay, this is abrupt, but it is a TV movie, and they really got to wrap it up. And and you do want to see did the other kids get arrested as well? And you don't have time to do an actual sequence of busting them at their house separately. So let's just take an extra afternoon and do pictures of putting everybody into the cop car and we'll run that over the credits and people will get the point. <laughs> Who knows? Just, you know, just <laughs> It was like the cherry on top of a wonderful Sunday. But that's pretty much the Brotherhood of Justice. There's a couple real small moments that I want to mention that stuck out to me. Uh, but were there anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? Okay, there was one moment that we didn't mention that I wanted to mention. They pull up to where Keanu's girlfriend works. One of her jobs is gas station attendant. Right. And everyone sort of piles out of their cars and go over to a cop car, and they start mocking these two Mexican oh, guys yeah. in the backseat of the car. And the cop's like, get away from there, get away from there. And they don't. And everyone, like Billy Zane, is poking their head in. And one guy says to him something like, you know, if I catch you in our town again, I'm going to take you up in a helicopter and drop you like a sack. Yep. And you're like, okay, this is racist. So right. later in the movie, when they go to East L.A. or the wrong side of the tracks, or they actually go to Mexico maybe, when the gang of dudes who pull them over and threaten them one of them says the same line back to the dude, like, oh, if we catch you here again, we're going to 
bring you up in a helicopter and drop you like a sack. I was like, oh, it's a callback. <laughs> it's the same guys that he heckled in the back of the cop car. I was like, why did they bring those guys back? That was so crazy. And what's weird about that scene is, like, the cop, like, even though he says, like, get away, like, seems totally okay with them just, like, completely mocking and trashing these guys. Like, it's so weird. It's especially strange because he goes, what do they do? What do they do? And the cop's like, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. So what's he doing? <laughs> is he just going to escort them out of town, like like Rambo? Like, here's the town limits. Like, you're free to go that way. That's terrific. I can't no. believe we didn't talk about that earlier. So there's just one line and one little action that I like. So the action that I like is there's the principal who, toward the end of the movie, <laughs> has like this real like emotional breakdown. Like he's just in his office, like trying to figure out like what to do, and he's just like pacing around his office, and he's got like this like, basketball, and I just love that he's got like this little like basketball hoop that's probably four feet off the ground, and he just <laughs> just so sad, just like dunks the ball through the hoop, like, just as he's thinking. You know, like, I, I don't know why I love it so much, but it's just, like, this, like, goofy little, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't explain why I like it. Maybe it's, like, the hot dog with Jordan in, in Dream to Believe. Like, she just loves it. But I just love that that principal just really sadly dunking a basketball as he's thinking about what to do with the brotherhood. I love that scene as well. There's a, there's a moment where he goes up and looks at one of his awards, and it just says award on it. <laughs> and it's supposed to be something he has to give up now. Or so, and then he looks over to a picture of his children and his wife, and he puts the finger on it. Yeah, that was awesome. I love that guy. I don't know why. Like, I, I thought, like, I sort of forgot that he was the principal. I'm like, is this a detective trying to, like, figure out who the Brotherhood is? And, like, the next scene, like, he's just very clearly the principal. I was like, oh, like, this guy is just, like, you know, being a principal is hard enough. And then you have, like, this vigilante crew that basically exist because of you. And just like, <laughs> oh, like, your life is way more difficult than it needs to be. One of my favorite lines, because it's so weird, is... It's just gross. I think it's gross. Like I don't think it's meant to be gross, but it's gross. Is that like Keanu and Kiefer in their first face to face, I think, after Lori Lachlan starts working at that Italian restaurant, which is where Kiefer works, and Keanu says to him, You like her? And he says, and I quote, I like any girl who can whistle with her fingers. And I was like, I don't know why, but that just sounds disgusting. <laughs> like it just sounds like a filthy, filthy line. And I understand that it's not, but it's just like, ugh. How's Christy doing? What do you mean, here at work? Whatever. She's doing fine. She only worked a couple days last week. I guess it takes a little while to get used to things. Mm. You like her? I like any girl who can whistle with her fingers. I like her too. Now it strikes me as filthy, but before <laughs> it didn't, before it just meant that he likes a like a blue-collar working-class girl, like someone more his speed. But now, thanks for putting that image in my head. It's available on Amazon Prime, so if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. It seems like a weird, small, made-for-TV movie that should not be easy to find, but it is. So, I mean, <laughs> if you want to watch it, go for it. Any last thoughts about the movie? Just that we have definitely been on a hot streak as far as I'm concerned. I, I've been yep. loving these TV movies. I, I thought that they were going to be a chore to get through, quite honestly, but, but it's great. It's been a lot of fun, and I, I think you should definitely check this one out. The next movie we have up is River's Edge, which I don't know anything about, but it's like a bigger movie. So I think that that would likely continue the streak. But even if that doesn't, then we have 
Under the Influence and Babes in Toyland, a couple more TV movies. So, I mean, these TV movies are pretty <laughs> they're pretty good, at least lately. So I'm excited to see what's coming up next for Keanu Club. Me too. So for all things Keanu Club and Cage Club and Zack Attack and Monkey Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub and find out about all four of those podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Keanu Club.